You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So, uh, we just got back from Bettendorf. I believe that that has already been a week ago. Um, paying penance for taking the time off makes for a really fast week because it's extraordinarily hard. It's been a rough week this past week. Yeah, Am I retired publisher? It's easy, you know, for you, right? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we got back, when was it, uh, Sunday night about 10 o'clock, and I've been working all week on uh, Crankshaft issue number seven, and yesterday I wrote a nice, the last few days actually, I wrote a nice long story on a 1934 Nash Advanced 8 with the twin spark engine, which is way cool, and now I want to own one. And that's the problem about writing about some of these cars. After a while, you go, wow, that was a great automobile. I really want to buy one. I really got to own one. So, uh, yeah. So all week I've been into Nash mode. I'm sure you'll appreciate that. I always appreciate it. Nash was an unsung um, brand. Well, perhaps not in the day so much as it is today, but uh, Nash's are always associated with ramblers and little old lady cars and there's just so much so much more to it than that especially back in 1934 Um, right you know really powerful engines cars that would stack up with just about any other manufacturer They, they had had quite a lineup in the early 30s yeah I was reading uh, you know, I mean, Charles Nash being, uh, well, he was also the former president of General Motors, but how he was a stick before precision machining, just like uh, Henry Leland was. Uh, Henry, who created, who founded uh, Cadillac. And, uh, yeah, uh, Charles had his machine shop. Instead of using steel cutters like most people in the industry, he used diamond tip cutters. This way he could get within a quarter of one one-thousandth of an inch when he was machining, when they were machining pistons and cylinder bores in the engine blocks. And that's how much of a, you know, uh, person he was who wanted precision machining because it would make the engines run smoother and be more adorable in the long run. So the more you read about this stuff, it's like, wow. You know, for a little independent car company, Nash was really on the cutting edge. He really did some interesting stuff, especially with the twin spark engine that had, you know, being a straight eight, it had... An ignition. What? Yeah. 16 spark loads. Yes. Two spark loads, one spark load on each side of the cylinder. An overhead valve, no less, you know? Very few companies had overhead valve. Everybody was in the flathead mode back in the day. So I'm very impressed by Nash. The more I read, the more I want one. Well, I'm just saying. I'm usually ahead of the curve. You're a little slow. What can I say? 
Well, you know, I mean, uh, I have appreciation <laughs> for fun machinery, and the only thing you're paying in your stable is a Volvo P1800, which is great. I would like to have one. But, you know, you went with a Triumph TR7, so what does that say about you? You know what I'm saying? Come on. I, I wanted to experience the true suffering of my fellow car hobbyists in in one sitting. So there you, you know, go. I needed to be able to empathize. You know, how, how can you expect to be a purported vintage car expert if you haven't suffered sufficiently? You know. Well, I mean, I I hope you have a nice, you know, cement floor. This way, the. Uh, oil that drips out of the Triumph engine doesn't get soaked into the earth, you know, <laughs> being an environment or living on top of a mountain, you don't want to, you know, ruin the uh, environment with all the leaking oil, but, you know, whatever, you know. I, yeah, I yeah like whatever, that. whatever. You know, m- many years ago, I think it was back in 98, 99, I yeah, I went to Scranton, Pennsylvania for the Nationals, the, the, which is the national uh, convention of the Nash Club. And I was looking at a, I think it was a 41 Nash. I think it was a 600. And what amazed me was they had from the factory a shock tower brace. I mean, that's all the kind of stuff that you saw in the 90s, you know, a Mustang, Fox Body Mustangs and Camaros. They were coming out with shock tower braces because, you know, the uh, unibodies were flexing. But Nash had it back in 1940, 41. Like, wow, what a cool company. Yeah. Nash was really at the very, very top of unitized body construction um, with the uh, 600 that came out um, 1940. Um in fact, when Ford Motor Company started to utilize unitized construction at the Wixom plant in the late 50s, they brought in Nash's and dissected them because they wanted to know exactly how they had gone through the welding process and bracing and all of those things. Um, so, you know, well known for being ahead of their time in that area. Uh, yeah, so I'm glad I'm glad you're picking up on some of the finer <clears throat> aspects of Nash. Charlie Nash was a really interesting guy. Um, as a kid, he was sold into indentured servitude and worked on a farm, and right. he ran away at age. That's what I it was 15, 14, 15. Yeah, ended up. Uh, going to work for Dort Carriage Company as a cushion stuffer. And that was his uh, entry into the automotive world because, of course, Dort at that time was a carriage company, but then uh, Dort ended up becoming part of General Motors as well, and they were manufacturing automobiles. So uh, Charlie came up hard, and he was well known for being very frugal. At the same time, his employees loved him. Uh, so, interesting guy, Charles Nash. Well, you know, you know, the more you read, uh, well, actually, you know, the more I read about automobiles, the more I realize how little I know. There's so much information out there, but uh, 
it was really the independent car companies that uh, really pushed the envelope. You know, the big three just, you know, sat on their laurels and just kept doing the same old thing. But, uh, I mean, look what Hudson did with their step-down designs and uh, all that kind of stuff, you know? I mean, it was a little tiny company called Crosley that was the first one to use disc brakes on a car. So uh, you got to hand it to the independents. You really do. They, they did a lot of interesting stuff that the big trees wouldn't even touch. Part, part of that was trying to stay ahead of the big three, you know, having something new, having something innovative. A lot of they felt like innovation would be the thing that would keep them going. Another thing, which I had really overlooked that I found out more recently in talking with uh, some engineers from American Motors, they didn't have as many committees, didn't have as much bureaucracy as the big three did. And so, as a consequence, they could change up faster and do more things. And if they decided, you know, hey, let's try this, everybody's like, yeah, let's go for it. Whereas in Ford, GM, Chrysler, you had to go through committee after committee in this department and that department. And so it was sort of bogged down. Kind of sounds a bit like the federal government, um, actually. But, uh, yeah, they were more nimble didn't have all those layers you know, of management to dig through. You know, we talk about independent car companies like Nash and Hudson, Studebaker, uh, Packard. But in Europe, one of the independent companies was, believe it or not, uh, was Triumph. I mean, you know, you had the big Austin, you had Jaguar, you, even MG was a lot bigger. Triumph was a small company. And they were the first production car company mass-produced to put disc brakes on sports cars. They were the first company that integ- that had an integrated roll bar with the Triumph Stag. That was a target roof before Porsche came out with it. And Triumph was the first company to produce a uh, mass-produced four-valve engine. So you're right. Even Little Triumph, you know, it's, it's the little car companies that push the envelope in engineering and design. So my hat's off to them. Although I still like big three stuff, so, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, you know, they had all the resources. The independents did not have the resources that the big three had. And so, you know, they're good things to come from both. Um, now there's, you know, the big three or changing over and dominating it would only it'd be really interesting to see where where we would be if we still had as many independent car companies uh dealing with the current current technology changes and things of that nature be pretty interesting the uh but yeah so bettendorf was great i gotta give a plug it once more for the aaca grand national it is the best most uh, underappreciated show in the entire country the media does not cover that show in the manner they should they're too busy running to Amelia or running to Pebble Beach wherever it may be which Monterey Car Week is going on right now um, the AACA Grand National is just truly 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 a great event and you 
see so many amazing cars there. It, it was a great show. And then, of course, uh, the Zenith competition on uh, Friday was a great, great event. Um, we had great, great cars, very difficult judging. Uh, Richard and I both judged on Friday. And uh, coming down to that decision that led to that SS <clears throat> one swallow uh, predecessor to the Jaguar winning, uh, it was a hard fought decision. It was. That was a as perfect an automobile as you will ever find. I mean, the restoration. I I got on the, on my hands and knees and I stuck my head underneath the chassis. Wow. I mean, the finish. And the fit and finish and everything about it, it was just perfect. And plus, you know, it's a striking automobile. It has that airline coupe shape that was created by car bodies of England. And uh, it's an absolute sensational automobile. It, it was shown at Pebble Beach a great time. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. We're yeah, back. We're talking about, so. we're talking about SS1 uh, pre-Jaguar that won uh, the Zenith Award last week at the AACA event. That car, two weeks prior, when I was in Lexington, Kentucky, at the Keeneland Concourse, it won Best in Show. It's won several Best in Shows around the country. A couple of years ago, I think two years ago when it was finished, it was shown at Pebble Beach. And it didn't even finish third in its class. So I'm, I'm not going to say why, because I wasn't at that Pebble Beach Concourse that year. I don't know what the competition was, but I'm sure we could all surmise why. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. It is. It's one thing about but about Zenith. It's, a, it's brass knuckles competition. Uh, there's no right. uh, 
Nothing else enters no into it. No, right. No politics. No nothing. No, I know this guy or knew that guy. You know, subliminally or otherwise, um, all the cars uh, competing really against themselves for that that title. Um, you know, it's just excellence above excellence. So yeah, it was exciting. Very tiring, though. That's a very tiring judging process. It takes us about uh, a good six hours, six and a half, seven hours. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was 16 cars. So, you know, cars. For, for those who are listening and don't know what the Zenith Award is, but uh, if you're familiar with the street rod scene, the Riddler Award, you know, in Cobo Hall in, in Detroit every January, that's given out to the best street rod. And the Zenith Award, as, you know, created by you, uh, is the best restoration of the year. So, folks, if you're listening and if you've got a car that you just finished restoring or about to restore and you feel that is one of or perhaps the best restoration of its kind, uh, by all means, uh, you should have it entered in Zenith. Of course, you have to be a member of the AACA. So first you need to join the club. Go to AACA.org. Become a member and uh, show your car on the show field, and then the judges hopefully will see it, and they will select you to be in the following year's uh, Zenith Award. Is that how it works, Tom? That's exactly how it works. It's just that easy. Having been a member since I was 13 years old, I can tell you it'll be the best thing you ever, ever did. Um, not only will you be able to show your car, you'll meet so many people, you'll have access to parts, information at the AACA Library and Research Center. Um, it's It's been a great ride and continues to be a great ride for me. Um, you know, for gosh sakes, you, you and I became friends through AAC. I should have let my membership lapse, huh? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I showed up that day. <laughs> but I'm one of the two guest judges, and uh, I am absolutely grateful and thankful that the AACA has uh, asked me to uh, be on the judging team. So uh, it's a great honor, and uh, the paws are amazing. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess with Hershey coming up in uh, about seven weeks, six weeks, I guess you'll be on the show field that Friday looking for other potential candidates for next year's Zenith Award. Is that what you guys do? You kind of roam the field and check out the cards and see what you could uh, select for next year? Yeah. So at every show you have, um, you know, your regular class judging teams that go through. And for a good many years I was on a class judging team was a regular judge, which I encourage everybody to get involved in judging because it you learn so much more about the cars as a judge than you would if you weren't. Particularly if you're an owner, you really get to learn what everybody's looking at and looking to find or, or not. Um, and then I, I don't know, probably 10, 10 or more years ago, I joined the what's called the National Awards Team. And the National Awards Team at every event goes out after the class judging teams have gone through 
and selects the finest cars in certain areas, you know, best post-war Ford, best pre-war Ford, best GM, the Harley Earl Award, and other special awards that uh, recognize exceptional restorations uh, of certain cars in certain categories. And on top of that, then we have the Zenith team, and the Zenith team receives recommendations from the National Awards canvassing. And then we go back out and look at all of the Zenith cars that have been nominated for us to evaluate. We evaluate them. And generally speaking, we pick two cars from every AACA show to compete in the Zenith. So it's a a multi-level process. Um, Keeps me really busy. Our, Our team stays so busy up there in Hershey. We hit the field uh, nine o'clock, and we're not done until the cars are pulling out, um, which is great. It's a lot of fun, but I hate not being able to see all the cars. That's that's the only detriment. I don't get to see everything, but uh, well, I, I do. Have a great time. I can. I know you field do. I I roam that field you know, back and forth three four times. Sit underneath the tree and have my Maryland crab cake. And I was getting ready to say, you eat your crab cake sandwich, you dirtbag. That's right. You know, <laughs> there on the street, relaxing, and I see you, Jamokes, running around the field, you know, getting tired out, looking at cars, and I just smile and go, yep, I'm glad that's not me. I'm relaxing, I'm taking it easy, I'm going to hit the road soon and go home, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but I am ticked off about the crab cake, crab cake sandwich. Okay, you know, by the time I get finished, the crab cake trailer is out of there. You know, it's just not fair. Not fair. Well, you got to get so. Uh, sometimes you got to think for yourself. You got to just take a break and say, "Hey, five minutes, guys. I need to go get a crab cake. Whatever you got to do." You know, life's too short. Life's too short to go back to the hills of Virginia without having a crab cake from Maryland. Come on. Yeah, that is true. It's true. So, what else uh, is new with power? Well, I was going to say, so, well, one thing, and I'll mention it ever so briefly, Monterey Car Week, uh, RM had a collection it auctioned off, had a... 54 or 55 Ferrari Mondial that was virtually destroyed in a fire. Pieces of the frame are left, a few suspension components. The body was twisted, melted. I mean, there's just nothing really. I mean, it's not even recognizable unless you really know what it is. It's just this heap of steel. And it sold for $1.8 million and change. I was just absolutely blown away thinking to myself, someone has so much money that's buying that at $1.8 million, just like you and I getting a sandwich, you know? <laughs> now, you know... It's amazing. But, but, and I totally agree. That person obviously has, you know, more, more money than brains. But he paid $1.8 million. So let's say it cost him a half a million dollars to restore the car. Let's say it cost him a million, all right? So he's up to 
$2.8 million into the car. He could turn around and sell that car because it's the Mondial 500, and there's not many of them around. Not many were made. He could probably get anywhere from four to six million dollars for that car if it's restored correctly. But, but then again, therein lies the problem: is, is it really restored or is it a recreation? Because there's nothing my, left in that thing to be used. <laughs> That—that's what I was going to say. They they spent $1.8 million basically for the bragging rights to recreate the car. Because right. any parts of that car that are reused in the restoration are merely there for sympathetic purposes so that they can say that it's part of the original car. But that car is so bad that only a fr- only fractional amount of that car is ever going to be recycled into the new car. So they're just re- doing a recreation. Right. You so know. you're taking the data plan. I mean, even the chassis was, you know, if, if it wasn't twisted, it's at least uh, metal fatigued because of the heat. So you really can't reuse the chassis. Everything has to be rebuilt. Part of the aluminum uh, body I saw Maybe, maybe 10, 15% of it can be saved. That's about it. So you're really paying for that Vintage and the serial number, and then you're going to create this whole thing from scratch, and then you're going to go out and say, yeah, this is, you know, a 19 blah, blah, blah Ferrari Mondial. Well, no, it has no provenance at that point. It's a recreation. So that's a touchy subject. It really is. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, basically just recreating a car that really sort of ceased to exist when it had the wreck and the fire. Just, I don't know. I mean, it's beautiful to look at, beautiful artwork, but does it really have any type of provenance at all? Uh, Maybe other than a piece of tubing that they saved (laughs) it. I don't know. But at any rate, at $1.8 million and change, that's crazy. But uh just goes to show you that, you know, at least certain segments of the hobby are still extremely active uh, for everybody that thinks that old, old cars are on the wane. So one thing I was thinking about certainly was our trip. We piled into the Mini and took off, and you successfully... Pilot us, piloted us there to Bettendorf and back. Of course, we got to stop at Bucky's. What's that? Bucky's, baby. Bucky's gas station. <laughs> Bucky's. You got to do Bucky's. I know some of my friends have said the one down there in South Carolina is just way too crowded and it's crazy and nuts. But everybody else loves Bucky's. And it is as clean as they say it is. Eh, it's time for a break. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268- 4783 or visit jctaylor.com/awr drive through time with peace of mind jc taylor 
When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. So we went to Iowa the trip. So we went to Iowa back in my 2013 Mini Cooper, six-speed. And I get like 40, 42 miles a gallon. And you got to admit, Tom, there's, there's a lot of headroom, a lot of legroom in that car, isn't it? it it's kind of deceiving. Oh, it's very deceiving. It's it's the small car with a large in, uh, large inside. Um, yeah. I was amazed at, uh, you know, the fact that we spent, you know, well, going up 10, 10 hours or maybe a little less than that in the car, but definitely on the way back 10 hours because of all the interstate tie-ups but uh you know the break at bucky's was great yeah those cars are great now the only thing i'll have to say i, I was introduced to something i had not experienced before and that is What's richard's that? concern for heat soak trying to prevent heat soak that just destroys your car you know we're driving along we pull into bucky's and before we get ready to pull into bucky's like i notice i'm getting really hot I'm like, dang on, what is this? Like, well, the, the, the freaking heat's on. I'm, I'm thinking, well, surely it's malfunctioning. That's why the heat's on, because it's only 90 degrees outside. And, and Richard's like, oh, no, I, tur- I turn that on to dissipate the heat before we stop. And so we pulled in, and of course, I'm parched, sweating, you know, drip- sweat dripping from my brow. And uh, we pull in, and, and he opens the hood up. And, and leaves the hood open before we go into Bucky's. And I go in because I've been, you know, dehydrated, and uh, we go inside. So the the heat soak, no good. It ruins engines. I'm telling you, <laughs> ruins everything. <laughs> it's a, you know all that heat under the hood. It deteriorates the rubber. It deteriorates the uh, what do you call it? Uh, Ignition coils, the electrical sensors, uh, radiator hoses. I mean, it's just no good, all that heat. you got to get it out of the engine bay. <laughs> and no matter where I go, as soon as I stop my car, even if I go into a store, if I go to the post office, if I go uh, to the supermarket, I keep my hood open. And people always come up to me and go, you got a problem with your car? No, no. Oh, why is your hood open? Heat soak. Got to get rid of it. <laughs> no, you I do. don't have a problem with your car. It's like, no, I have a problem, not my car. <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, I, I, the heat. <laughs> I always but, last the heat the last, uh, you know, 
may, maybe 30 seconds before I stop to get the heat out through the, uh, you know, heat of course. So, yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> Try it. I think I was, I was suffering from heat soak coming back. Uh, it was uh, in the 90s, and then, of course, we started to run into traffic issues. And then I find out that, oh, the radiator fan is not working reliably now on, on the Mini. And so not only are we stopped in the 90-degree-plus heat, but then we have to turn on the heater in order to keep the engine cool. <laughs> so I was suffering from heat soak, and there was no relief for me, you know? You know, you know, this is why I hate bringing my car to a dealer. Several years ago, uh, the catalytic converter went, and I had it replaced on the warranty. And uh, on my way home, the uh, engine light comes on, and I go back, and they said that there's a problem with your oxygen sensor. I said I had no problem coming in here. He goes, well, that's what happened. So $500 to change the O2 sensor. So I go, no. I go home. I look at it. And when they changed the catalytic converter, they took the O2 sensor off using a channel grip pliers. And they ruined it. And, of course, they wouldn't admit it. So I changed it for $82. And I did that in, like, maybe 60 minutes. Uh, so they ruined that. A year later, the radiator broke. I went in, fixed the radiator, and then ever since then, the electric fan doesn't work. And I replaced the relay. I replaced the fuses. I, 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 I jumped it. So there are a bunch of monkeys over there uh, at the uh, mini dealer in Hartford, Connecticut. Never go there again. So ever since then, I can't get this electric fan to work. So every time I get stuck in traffic, I throw the heat on. But you got to admit, you lost five pounds. So what are you complaining about? <laughs> <laughs> it's like sitting yeah, in a sauna. we had. Uh, it was like sitting in a sauna. I mean, we even had to turn off the Ramones because the CD overheated and would no longer play. <laughs> <laughs> some of the big 
uh, luxury makes that would go much, much faster than that. By and large, you didn't want to drive faster than 45 miles an hour because the roads were in such poor condition. So, A, the cars weren't being pushed as hard because they not weren't running as fast, thinking 45 miles an hour and below. And the other part of it is people took short, shorter trips back then. There weren't a lot of road trips. Um, there were some, but you've got to figure, you know, you had coast-to-coast route. Uh, you had uh, Lincoln Highway. Then uh, you had Route 66 and a few other routes. But by and large, most people, they were in town and, and they ran in to get something and they went back home. Very short trips. So short trips, lower RPMs, they weren't pushing the cars as hard. Um, another thing to think about with your older pre-war cars it's really it wasn't until the post-war era that we really started to make make use of pressurized coolant systems or closed systems um, which are more modern but the original cooling systems they were open systems they were not pressurized and those engines were all cooled with water and in the wintertime, you added alcohol to the water to keep it from freezing, or you drained it. And then once you got into the, I guess it would be the, the 30s, where you had the introduction of various antifreeze products, you would run antifreeze and water combination throughout the winter, and then you change out your coolant in the spring. So you were changing it out regularly. Um, if you look at, everybody just assumes that using commonly known as to a lot of people as green antifreeze, um, that it's going to be cooler. The fact of the matter is water does the best job of transferring heat to through your radiator. Straight water. And that's what the older cars were designed to be used with. They were non-pressurized. They utilized water. And so I a lot of friends that I have who have older cars and myself who don't have the overheating problems, they use distilled water with a water pump lubricant and rust inhibitor. And that's what they run in those cars throughout the summer. And then, of course, in the wintertime, you'll want to introduce antifreeze just so that while you've got it set up in storage or what have you, it doesn't freeze. And, of course, you know, in cold weather, you're not worried about overheating. So if you're using an ethylene glycol, it's not going to be a problem for you. Um, and the ethylene glycol and, and propylene glycol, they have the capacity to hold more heat than water, but they do not transfer heat as well as water. So in a lot of cases, it sounds crazy, but 
run straight water. That's that's what the cars were designed to do. But I would use distilled water um, so you don't end up with all the deposits and so forth uh, in the engine from all the minerals, et cetera, that are in, in the water. And you got to run a rust inhibitor and a water pump lubricant in order to run you know, it there's, out. there's a great product by Redline called Water Wetter. And that has known to reduce the temperature of the water by a significant amount, something like, you know, 12 to 20 degrees. So you could pick up a bottle of water wetter at most, you know, water parts stores. Uh, but if, if you're still having trouble with, uh, you know, overheating, uh, there is another product called Evans Cooling. And it's expensive. I think it's about 40 or $50 a gallon. And you probably need two gallons. But you got to make sure all the water is out of your radiator and all the water is out of the engine block. It has to be water-free. And you put Evans in, and you'll never have another problem again overheating. So uh, there are some yeah. products out Evans. there. And uh, do your research. So e- Evans is, uh, their product is called Collector's Choice. Uh, it's also been sold under Evans Classic Cool. It's got a boiling right. point that's above 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. Um, so it, it, it's not going to boil over. Um, and it lasts 20 years Forever. is right. the lifespan for that, 20 years, which is a really, really long time. Um, you know, it's sort of a one and done, and it has all the additives in it to prevent corrosion, to prevent deterioration of your uh, rubber seals and so forth, um, your hoses, etc., etc. So it's an excellent product. Um, and you were talking about water wetter. There are a couple of other products out there, and probably one of the best ones that's actually, you know, and with water wetter, what that does and what most of these uh, coolant additives that increase the cooling properties of particularly water, they work a lot better with just water, not even, you know, mixing it with the uh, uh, coolant. But um, Rizlone has a product called Hypercool, and it'll get you 25 to 30 degrees uh, cooler. And what what it does is it reduces the wetting angle of the water as it's going through your engine, which means that it's in closer contact in a, in a molecular way with the surfaces within your engine. And that increases the heat transfer. Ah, oh, it's time for a break. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories. 
the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Okay, so, Mr. Tom, stick up. So, oh, hang on, hang on. Before we go, I got to say something. I got to say something. So, uh, one thing, and we'll talk about this probably again in the future, you know, the whole cooling thing. One thing to remember. If you're using the coolant in a in your in your post-war cars, your pressurized systems, use an IAT coolant, not an OAT coolant. And the difference is, um, IAT is inorganic additive technology, and you can use the um, Xerex Original, and these are ones I recommend: Xerex Original and Valvoline multi-vehicle. Do not use extended life antifreezes or OAT, which are um, organic acid technology coolants um, in your car. Just use the IAT inorganic additive. Like I said, if you want to be safe, use the original <clears throat> Xerex, uh, Xerex Original and Valvoline multi-vehicle. Because if you use the extended life coolants and then the other, the OAT, it can eat away at the gaskets in your car's cooling system. It can eat away at your head gaskets and cause you a whole lot of problems. And the other thing that you don't want to do, don't mix Dex Cool with the regular green ethylene glycol either. Because if you do, it can end up gelling up inside the engine and just think about that for a second. That means you're going to have all kinds of cooling issues and then you've got to get all of that garbage back out of the engine. So be careful. Don't mix it. Every coolant is not coolant is coolant is coolant. They're all different and you've got to be careful how you approach uh, using each one of them. And so old cars, uh, pre-war, go with water and a water wetter and put in a coolant uh you know, an antifreeze during the wintertime, and then your later pressurized and closed systems, um, you know, use an IAT uh, coolant all the way up through the mid-80s. Then after that, do your research, like Richard says. Always do your research. Okay, I'm done. Uh, inorganic, organic, IHT, IH4, just open the hood of your car and turn on the heat. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, turn on the heat. Who cares if your passengers are uncomfortable? Don't mix this. Don't mix that. Just open the hood of your car. Forget about it. <laughs> so, if a young guy comes up to you and say, hey, I want to get into this collector car hobby. I see all these TV shows. 
I got, you know, I got $5,000 saved and my grandparents and my parents are going to give me another grand or two. What can I buy that's affordable to get into the all-power hobby? What would you suggest to that young fella or young lady? So, you know, I have a couple not of mine. Shocking. Yeah. No, not a Hudson. Not a Hudson, actually. So, two in mind. If they're the anomaly and they happen to be in, into pre-war cars, I'm going to send them to the mo- to uh, Model T, 1915 to 1927. Very, very, very reasonable entry level and simple to work on. Uh, lots of parts. Cheap. We like cheap. Cheap cars Model are good. A's, too. Model A's, too. And yeah. Model A's. Model A's. And the Model A's will cost you a little bit more than the T's these days. But, gosh, you know, Model A's are a staple. I've, I've not owned one yet, but hopefully before I uh, take my uh, dirt nap, I'll have a Model A. I, I plan on it sometime, some point in time, having a Model A, Model T. If I'm going post-war, gosh, I'm thinking 61 to 63 T-Birds. I'm thinking... 60s Rambler Americans. I'm thinking uh, Corvairs. There you go, right up your alley. Corvairs, a lot of people out there in the Corvair clubs, you know. Yes, that's a good one. Corvairs, yep, I agree. And if if they want, you know, being young, they probably want something a little more sporty, uh, like a 90s E30 BMW. Uh, you can pick those up uh, for under five grand. They may have high mileage, but parts are readily available. Uh, like a 318, uh, if you could get a BMW one from the 70s, like a 320i, uh, that's a great little car. Uh, Honda's parts from prices the 70s are, are pretty. Parts are pretty pricey. Yeah. Those, though, right. No, so you always got to do your homework and make sure you get the best car for the for the money. Uh, you could get, you know, those 300 ZXs from the 90s. You could get, you know, a Supra, uh, even some, uh, like a CRX Honda if you can find one, or Volkswagen Scirocco. Uh, or if you want a sports car, a Triumph Spitfire. You could pick those up for well under $6,000, and all the parts are readily available. You could also get an MG Midget. But uh, there's not as enough room in a midget as there is in a Spitfire. Or, you know, uh, if you want to go to a to something a little more posh, Mercedes SLs from the 70s and 80s are well under $10,000. But, again, parts are an issue. Uh, but what about, you know, third-gen F-bodies, the Camaros and Firebirds from the 80s? And even the ones in the 90s, the fourth-generation models, uh, if you can find a Fox body Mustang that hasn't been, you know, customized and hot rodded, uh, that makes a really, really good collector car. Parts are available. Even if you get a, a Fox body Mustang with a four cylinder, at least you'll get into the hobby and then you could, you know, uh, go up the ladder later on. So there's lots of stepping stone cars like four cylinders that you could get. You know, I'm shocked at the number of people who, well, 
I'm not shocked. I'm just always surprised at the number of people who think you got to be a rich guy to be in the antique car hobby. Now, if you want to buy a burned-up, crashed 1954 Ferrari Mondial, you got to be a rich guy. But to participate in this hobby, you, you don't have to be a rich guy. In fact, I, I, I sent you an ad last night some point in time. Uh, the 58 Chevy Bel Air four-door sedan, really a solid-looking car, uh, complete. It's not running, but complete and solid. Everything there actually looked serviceable if you get it running. Twenty five hundred bucks, which I know. means if you, yeah, if you keep looking and look in all the right places, and be patient, that's the biggest problem. When you're excited about getting a new, getting a car, or getting a project car, if you're not patient, you can end up getting stuck. Be patient. That belt had a straight body. I zoomed in on the photos, and there was very little rust. But it was straight. The, the panel gaps in the doors were right on, so you knew it wasn't hit in a previous life. And, uh, yeah, that would be a great project. You know, a four-door, big deal. Once you're behind the wheel, you don't know if you're sitting in a four-door or two-door. It doesn't matter. The view out the hood is the same. So, And then you sent me another one of the uh, for $7,000. The 53, was it? Lincoln Capri, which is one of my favorite cars. I want a 54. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a good deal too. That's a running car. Oh yeah, for seven grand you could buy that car. It's it's presentable as is. The floors were solid, trunk pan solid, no rust, yep. and it was running and driving for an asking price of seven grand. And yeah, Richard you know, and I never pay asking price. No, never, never. Oh, never. But uh, yeah, you just gotta look. You got to, you know, think out of the box sometimes. You know, in Bettendorf last week at the Grand National, I saw that light blue Falcon. I think it was a 63 or a 62. It had the little straight six engine in it. Uh, yeah. That's a wonderful car. I mean, unfortunately, those little Falcons have gone up in price. But if you can find one needing paint and interior but it's running and fairly solid, you could probably find one for, you know, in the five to $8,000 range. And... It has a straight six. Big deal. You know, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Racing down the highway? You know, sometimes it's good to go slow. You smell the roses. You see the scenery. So uh, they're out there. Oh, but it's, look. it's true. And you were talking, so Ford Falcons, uh, just like Ford Mustangs, the prices of those have, have gone up. They're not prohibitive, but they've gone up. But a great alternative yeah. to the Ford Mustang and the Ford Falcon is the Mercury Comet and the yeah. the Mercury Cougar. They're actually finished oh. out a little better. They've got better appointments, and they're less expensive. They are. I mean, I would love a 67, 68 Cougar. But uh, even a 62, 63 Comet, they had those nice tail lamps, you know, nice design. The Palente... I think those are great-looking cars. They really are. So, wow, again, folks, ready to wrap it up. Keep cars are good. You just got to do some research and do your homework. And 
join a car club and get the word out. You're looking for something, and you'd be surprised what you'll find. Just stay away from them well, cheap tools, cheap cars. No cheap tools, cheap cars, cheap tools are bad. And Hershey's registration deadline has been extended, so there's still time to get in your registration and get to Hershey for the world's greatest car show. And it's only in seven weeks, and Richard and I will be there. And we'll see all of y'all next week. Take care, folks. Have a great weekend. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.